0: Hello, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of the Spirit of Prophecy podcast. We are going to continue our discussion about the doctrine of an imminent rapture. And in addition to that, in this program, uh, I want to spend some time talking about the dating of the book of Revelation. When it was written, uh, this is another subject that I think is important and one that I think is difficult to prove on both sides. And there's two schools of thought on that. So we're going to talk about both of those things, but um, appreciate you joining me today. Be uh, watching and ready for another interview. I've got another interview scheduled with Pastor Chuck Baldwin. And so I'm real excited about that. Uh, I'll be playing that one later this week. And so again, uh, not I probably won't be putting out daily content. There will be days skipped. It's going to be kind of hit and miss on a lot of these things. But the goal is a teaching video like this every week, along with a guest is kind of what I'm hoping to do as well as the weekly sermons. And again, always looking for recommendations on good sermons about prophecy or Israel. Uh, So uh, send those to me if you have any good recommendations on that, but let's go ahead and get into this subject and let's uh, uh, talk about imminency for a little bit. Now, in the last video, we mainly showed the foolishness of the dispensational, pre-tribulational version of imminency. It makes no coherent sense. Uh, these people constantly contradict themselves, do double talk. They'll say dumb things like the next event on God's prophetic calendar calendars, rapture of the church, and they don't even know what the last event was. And at the same time, they're constantly saying prophecies are being fulfilled before our eyes. And you cannot have prophecies being fulfilled before your eyes while at the same time saying that Paul believed in imminency and the Bible teaches imminency. No, if any prophecies have been happening since the Bible was written, then the Bible didn't teach imminency. Those things would have had to happen first. And that's just embarrassing that people continue to do that. And so uh, we're going to talk about a different way some people get imminency and i apologize if my video is still looking choppy um it's happening on our other computer too for our sermons it's an update in wirecast and they need to fix it wirecast uh your last update stinks do something about it get it done so we can get go back to smoother video so i don't know what's going on Uh, i haven't been able to figure out how to fix it yet but hopefully we'll get it taken care of before too long but anyway Imminency. So what would someone have to do? There, is, there are people who t- believe in imminency that even though I disagree with them, at least their arguments are consistent, coherent, and make sense. Where pre-tribbers and uh, dispensationalists, they contradict themselves constantly, and it's just embarrassing. But uh, what I want to show you, though, are several things that you would have to convince me of to get me to teach in an imminent rapture. And I would love to believe in an imminent return of Christ. I I hope these people are right. I do. I want to believe in an imminent rapture. I'm ready for the return of Christ. But I'm sorry I don't believe the Scripture teaches it. I believe the Scripture teaches we should be ready. I believe I am ready. I teach people to be ready. But that doesn't mean imminency. And I showed that in the previous video. So what are some things that you would have to do to convince me of imminency? Well, the first thing you would have to do, because this is just indisputable, you would have to convince me that the six seals already happened and that the six seal was not literal. Without a doubt, the seals all all happen before the coming of Christ. That happens in Revelation. I believe it's very clear. The return of Christ is in Revelation chapter 7. After the sun is darkened and moon turn to blood, same thing that we see in Matthew 24. We have the exact same, even though I believe Matthew 24 was primarily about that generation and they weren't ready. And so they didn't get the good outcome. They got the bad outcome that's spoken of later in Matthew chapter 24. But at the same time, I believe God is going to judge the world in the same way he judged Jerusalem. Just like God judged Jerusalem uh, for what they did with the gospel, God is going to judge the entire world someday with what they did with the gospel. And Daniel's 70th week, Matthew 24, is about Jerusalem. But Revelation, I believe, is about global events. But it is the same pattern where you have the false Christ, first seal, and then you have the wars, famines, pestilences, and then. You have martyrs mentioned in Matthew 24 and in the fifth seal, we have the souls under the altar saying, how long does thou not avenge our blood? Why are they doing that? Because God hasn't avenged our blood yet because the, tribula- or the tribulation is going on, but God's wrath has not started yet. After that, we have the sixth seal. We have the sun darkened. We have the moon turned to blood. And then we see uh, Jesus coming in the clouds with power and great glory. So it's the exact same pattern of events. Uh, That we see in Matthew 24. But that sun being darkened and moon turned to blood, I believe that's literal. Now, there are those in the preterist camp who teach that that was symbolic of the fall of Israel because, uh, you know, the old covenant was waxing old and ready to vanish away. And it fully went away with the destruction of the temple in 70 AD. And so it's symbolic of that because Joseph and his dream. He had the dream that the sun and the moon and the 11 stars bow before him. Therefore, the sun, moon, and the stars is uh, is symbolic of Israel. And so when the Israel falls, that was the sixth seal. I disagree with that. I believe it's literal, but hey, that makes sense. It, that that makes sense. I'm just not convinced, but it, it, it makes sense. So, uh, but either way you spin it. The return of Christ doesn't happen until after the sixth seal, and so uh, I don't believe the seals have happened yet. I believe they will. I and I also believe they will happen in a, in a three and a half year period, just like because Revelation mentions three and a half year periods. So I think it's I think it's going to be the same pattern, just global. Uh, but you would all you would have to convince me the man of sin was already revealed, and that the falling away already happened. Second Thessalonians two is clear that the man of sin is going to be, a falling away is going to take place, and the man of sin, the son of perdition, is going to be revealed before the coming of Christ. And I don't know. I'm not convinced it was Nero, like a lot of people believe. Uh, so you would have to convince me that that has already happened. That happens before the coming of Christ. So when um, there's people that believe that that already happened, you would have to convince me the mark of the beast already happened. I've not seen good, strong evidence that the mark of the beast already happened. I believe that is something that is still to come. People have tried tying it to some things with Nero. And I think you just get overly symbolic with it. I, I, I don't think it's happened. You would have to be able to show me, or tell me at least. I need you to tell me if the rapture is the next event on God's prophetic calendar, what was the last event? I need you to show me what that was because here's the other thing too. You're not going to convince me of, and that is that Jesus already came back. Okay. If you're a full preterist, I'm sorry. Jesus did not come back in 70 AD. I believe in a literal, physical, visible return of Christ. I believe he's going to set up his kingdom on this earth. Um, I believe in a literal resurrection of the dead. I don't care how somebody believes that much on the timing of all these things. But you do have to believe in a literal resurrection of the dead, a literal return of Christ. And I think when you when you cross that line where you deny those things, you do cross into heresy. But when it comes to time, you know, if you're a partial preterist and believe Jesus is still coming back and there is going to be a literal resurrection of the dead, I'm not that mad at you if you think some of these things already happen. I I think they're still gonna happen. The, I think the fact that our world is moving closer to a system that resembles the mark of the beast too shows evidence too that it hasn't happened yet and that it's still to come. So, But you'd have to convince me that that already happened. And I've not seen good evidence of that. And I've listened to the other side. I've listened to what the preterists have to say. You would have to convince me also, and this is a big thing that I want to talk about, that Revelation was written before 70 AD. You'd have to convince me of that. And I'm I'm just not convinced. I don't hate people that, that believe that. I've heard some arguments but I'm not convinced of those arguments. I think the historical evidence is on the side of the later date. And the um you know again I I'm not really interested in getting in a argument about history. It seems like everybody can always find somebody, some historian saying what they want them to say. And we know history has not been promised to be preserved. History is, is not something you can always trust. I mean, boy, just read what history says about 2020 already. Okay? And that was just three years ago. They're already lying about that. There's And so, you know, just the victors always write the history. Whoever's in power writes the history. And they lie. They lie. So, um, you know, but anyway... There are people who believe all these things have happened or there's people who believe that the seals have been happening throughout history. There's a, there's the historicists that are out there and, and some historicists, maybe they believe in imminency, you know, Hey, that's fine. But before they're going to get me on board, they got to convince me that those things happened historically. And I've not just seen good evidence that these things have happened throughout history. I've heard some good theories that make sense, but either but I'm just not convinced. I I believe these things are still to come personally. But yeah, I don't hate people that disagree with me on this. But if you convince me that the seals had already happened, the man of sin's been revealed, that the mark of the beast already happened, then you could convince then I would be like, "Okay. Yeah, the next thing is the return of Christ, the resurrection, and that'd be great. I and but then you would you would also be convincing me the tribulation was over. And I would really love to believe there was no coming tribulation. I would love to believe that all that was left was God's wrath. And you know, I guess too, when you say tribulation, there is tribulation on the world right now. You know, not so much in America, but in parts of the world. There is, they are literally in tribulation. Right now, if you are a Christian living in Gaza right now, you're in tribulation, you know, and in a lot of parts of the world. I mean, I was just listening to about Nigeria. I guess there's a lot of Christians being killed there. They're in tribulation there right now. So, yeah, the entire church age, for lack of a better term, is an age of tribulation. So, um but, you know, if you convince me the mark of the beast is over, that would be great. Uh I, I would love to. Th- uh, I would love to get on board with that. So, um, you know, that's those are the things you'd have to convince me of to get me on board with imminency. the pre-tribulational dispensational argument. You'll never get me on board with that because it doesn't make any sense. It makes no coherent sense. It's literally one of the worst theories out there uh, when it comes to timing of events, and I just completely reject it. So, um, this so. Revelation, let's. I want to talk about the dating or the timing of when Revelation was written. Because, again, on the historical arguments, I'll let the historians argue about that. Um, again, a lot of my basis for what I believe is based on my doctrine, my doctrinal position. I will admit this, okay? I want to try to approach this in more of an intellectual way. I just want to give the facts. I'm, um, you know we're used to Baptist preachers. We're always just passionate about our position, and everything where I, right, everyone's wrong and, and they're all heretics. But, you know, I think when it comes to this subject, um, I don't believe that's a profitable approach to take and a profitable attitude. There are some things that are not crystal clear. And so there are ways that we interpret certain things based on the assumption that, that certain aspects of our position are accurate. And hopefully those are right. And I think the preterists do this. I think the partial preterists do this. I think the futurists do this. We all interpret the book of Revelation in light of a doctrinal position we've aligned ourselves with. I think it's important though that we prove our doctrinal position, our method of interpretation is correct. And so uh, I want to show some things that Uh, I want to show the internal evidence because in the preterist world and in or even in the partial preterist world, the people who believe Revelation was written before 70 AD, a lot of times they go to what they call the internal evidence. Evidence from what was stated in Revelation. They say there's certain things mentioned there that prove Revelation was written before 70 AD. So, okay, now we're talking about the Bible. So that's a good conversation. So let's talk about that. Let's look at, because if Revelation is written before 70 AD, then it does. It's like, okay, it doesn't make sense that those were prophesying things that literally happened a few years later, and we're just acting like it's all going to happen again. But it also makes no sense to say that Revelation was prophesying of things that happened before it was written. That doesn't make any sense at all. So the preterists are completely dependent on the book of Revelation being written before 70 AD. They, that has to be. But let's look at the internal evidence. Again, I'll leave the historical evidence to the historians, and they can fight about it, and I'll probably side with the guy who aligns with my doctrine. But uh, So Revelation 1.1, this is some of their internal evidence they will use. It says, The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave unto him to show unto his servants things which must shortly come to pass. So right there, they will say that that proves that what John is about to write in the book of Revelation are things that are shortly going to come to pass. And you know what? Every other time in the Bible, you see that word shortly, it's talking about things that are going to shortly come to pass, meaning a very short period of time. And let's not just run to the day as a thousand years and a thousand years as a day. Okay? No, that verse does lead you to believe that what John's about to write to his servants are things that are going to come to pass very soon. It does seem that way. And let me tell you, I believe that is the accurate interpretation of that. But here's the question, though Does that mean everything in Revelation is shortly going to come to pass? What if we read this passage in the most literal way? Right, let's get real literal on this passage. All right, let's look at it again. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave unto him. So God gave this revelation to Jesus. And God wanted Jesus to show this to his servants things which must shortly come to pass. So here's the question. Who are those servants? Are those servants, is that us? Is that Tommy McMurtry? Is that all believers? Is that Christians 2,000 years later? Or is it the, the people in the seven churches which are in Asia? Isn't that who John's writing to? the seven churches in Asia, grace be unto you and peace from him which was and which was, is and which was and which is to come. And from the seven spirits which are before his throne. So remember, Revelation is written to seven specific churches. And in chapter two and three, he gives Jesus, it's the, the words of Christ. The words are in red. And he's giving a message to each of those individual churches. There's no message to Liberty Baptist Church. These are the seven churches that were in Asia, and it prophesies of things that are going to happen to them. But the the people who want to say this is evidence that was written before 70 AD, they're assuming everything in here is shortly going to pass. No, I think it's the things that were going to happen to those seven churches that are mentioned in chapter 2 and 3 and notice this, okay, and look at what it says in verse 19. It says, write the things which thou hast seen, okay, that would be, you know, what he saw in the beginning of the chapter, and the things which are, and the things which shall be hereafter. So he's giving John a command to write the things that he's seen, the things which are, and the things which shall be hereafter. And so I believe those things which are are the things in chapter two and three, the things that were shortly going to come to pass, the things that were specifically to those seven individual churches. But then notice after you get to chapter four, once you get to chapter four, after the words of Christ are done, after he gives the things that are going to come the on those seven churches, you know, on each individual church says, and after this, I look and behold, a door was open in heaven. And the first voice which I heard was, as it were, of a trumpet talking with me, which said, "Come up hither, and I will show thee things which must be hereafter." So, when we get to chapter four, we have a change in subject, where he's now no longer addressing these individual churches. The, you know, the prophet, the the words to the church in Smyrna were for the church in Smyrna, not the church in Pergamos, the church in Smyrna. And so after he gets done with those messages of the seven churches, Jesus is done speaking, and now John gets caught up to heaven in the spirit. And he is told to write about the things which shall be hereafter. I believe that's what we're seeing after that. So I don't believe these things have to shortly come to pass, the things he writes. No, he's also writing about the things which shall be hereafter, things for the future, and God gave that same message to all the seven churches, I think, to preserve this because this is, he's given the New Testament eschatology. Old Testament eschatology ended in failure, it ended in destruction in Jerusalem because Jerusalem tried to establish their own righteousness. They didn't believe on the Messiah, and they were destroyed, they were not delivered. And I believe what we're seeing now in Revelation is New Testament eschatology. That is all of, is going to be dependent on what Jesus does. And just like Israel failed in the wilderness, and Jesus succeeded in the wilderness, like I preached about last Sunday, and you ought to go watch that sermon. I believe that uh, when it comes to eschatology, Israel failed in 70 A.D. Jesus will succeed in the future. All glory goes to Him. We see a constant message. From John, and we see it in Revelation too about overcoming. To him that overcometh, to him that overcometh, him that overcometh. I preached a whole sermon one time. I'm not going to preach it right now. And people use that to teach work salvation. But if you look up every reference in Revelation where it says to him that overcometh, and you look at what they were told to overcome, I can show you other places in the Bible that show that the way we overcome is by believing on Christ. That's the way we overcome. We are overcomers because of Jesus Christ. Israel, they tried overcoming on their own and they were wiped out and defeated by the Romans. We will overcome the Antichrist in the future by the blood of the Lamb by Jesus Christ. And so again I, I'm telling you the destruction of Jerusalem was a completely different event for what we're looking for what we're looking for. There are similarities without a doubt. But there are distinct differences too because one was based on uh, the works of man and the works of the law and the works of Israel. One's based on the works of Christ. And we're we are going to have a glorious ending where Israel did not. They were destroyed. They were defeated. So again, uh, the shortly come to pass, I do not believe that is evidence um, of a pre-70 AD uh, dating. Sorry, but that just falls short. I get what you're saying. I just don't agree with you. I don't believe that is internal evidence that Revelation was written before 70 AD. So here's another place that they go to, and that is Revelation 11. Revelation 11, and they will point out the fact that the temple is standing. Therefore, the temple of God is standing. Therefore, this had to have been before the destruction of the temple. That's what they'll say. Okay, and then what the... Dispensational crowd will say, well, this is a tribulation temple, but that would be an antichrist temple. And let me tell you, there is the next temple that's going to be built, will not be the temple of God. Okay? If it was, that would completely contradict everything we learn in the book of Hebrews. The next temple will be an antichrist temple, it will not be the temple of God, it will be called the temple of God. Just like the Antichrist or the Man of Sin will declare himself to be God, he will declare his temple as the temple of God, but it will not be the temple of God. He's just going to sit in there, you know, as God, as he's in the temple of God, but it's not. It would be like if I declared our church building the temple of God. I can declare it that if I want. It doesn't make it so. It doesn't make it so. Uh, I, you know, I could declare my house the temple of God. It doesn't make it so. And so they can call it that all they want, doesn't make it so. So what do we do about this temple that's standing in Revelation chapter 11? And let's go ahead and read a little bit of this. It said, And there was given unto me a reed like unto a rod, and the angel stood, saying, Rise, and measure the temple of God, and the altar, and then that worship therein. But the court, which is without the temple, leave out, and measure it not, for it is given unto the Gentiles, and the holy city shall they tread underfoot forty and two months, And I will give power unto my two witnesses and they shall prophesy a thousand and two hundred and threescore days clothed in sackcloth. Okay. Now, several, several things right here for one, um, if this already happened, when did the two witnesses do their thing? And this is where it goes on to talk about how they're going to be killed and they're going to rise from the dead three days later. When did that happen historically? no one claims it did happen historic, historically what they'll do is they'll make it symbolic they, well it's a reference to the law and the prophets being preached during that time and blah 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 i think it's literal okay and you're going to have to convince me it's not literal i think it is in fact literal i think moses and elijah are going to come and they are going to they are going to preach i do not believe that that has happened and, and here's one of the reasons i do believe it's literal too and it's literally going to be moses and elijah Remember at the Mount of Transfiguration when Moses and Elijah showed up. And remember after that event happened, right after that, that was when the disciples asked, why say the scribes that Elias must first come and restore all things? And Jesus basically confirmed that, yeah, that technically that's right. But then he mentions John the Baptist and how they killed him, and they're going to do the same thing with me. I believe what we see at Christ's first coming is Jesus was fulfilling his end as the Messiah of everything that was prophesied to Israel. That's why if you go to Zechariah and Ezekiel and you go to a lot of those and, and Malachi and you go to those prophecies, there are many things that we see Jesus fulfill, but then there's a bunch of other things in those same passages that didn't happen. What's going on? Jesus did his part. Israel did not do their part. Jesus showed up, did his thing, but Israel rejected him. They were not ready. And so when Jesus came to earth, we see that event where Moses and Elijah show up. But I think Jesus basically sent him back. You know why? Because Israel wasn't ready, but it showed that too, as a witness that again, God fulfilled his end of things, but Israel didn't do what they were supposed to do. And so, um, and, that's, and that's why Jesus mentioned too. They killed John the Baptist, and they're going to kill me. And so it was not time, but I believe a time is coming where Moses and Elijah are going to come back, and they're going to preach. And I believe they're going to be killed, and three days later they're going to rise from the dead. That that that's what I believe. I don't think, and but I think um, you know in the you know pre-Preterist camp or whatever, they're making this way too symbolic, and I just disagree with that. So here's another thing too, though. If this is about a future temple standing in Jerusalem, do we really believe that Jerusalem is going to get compassed with armies twice? Because everyone agrees that happened in 70 AD. Do we believe a temple is going to get destroyed twice? Do we believe an abomination of desolation is going to happen twice? Because all of those things about Jerusalem, sure enough, happened in the first century. So do we believe it's going to happen again? So you say, well, what do you think? I mean, you think Revelation 11's future? Well, here's the thing about that. Um, When he's measuring this temple of God, could it be he's measuring a temple in heaven, which was the pattern of the one that's on earth? There is a temple in heaven. Later, we're going to see Jesus go into that temple and he's going to pour out his vials on the earth. Why is John all of a sudden, you know, at, in the temple in Jerusalem? Why is that? He said, well, there's a reference to Jerusalem. Well, um, yeah, in verse 8, talking about their dead body shall lie in the street of that of the great city, which spiritually is called Sodom and Egypt, where also our Lord is crucified. So that's where the temple of God is in Sodom and Egypt. Now, I believe most and Elijah are going to prophesy there. But God called that place Sodom and Egypt. And that's interesting too, because Sodom and Egypt are both places that were destroyed by God, like Jerusalem was. Jerusalem was destroyed by God through the Roman army in 70 AD. So I think that, I personally think that the fact that it's calling Jerusalem Sodom and Egypt, to me, that shows that this was written after it was destroyed. I think the temple that John is measuring is a temple in heaven and when he describes it being trodden down by the Gentiles for 42 months I believe what we're seeing is symbolic here and you can get listen you can get mad at me all you want for going symbolic here we all go symbolic places in Revelation especially in chapter 12 okay everybody goes symbolic in chapter 12 but if you do it in chapter 11 shame on you but again I no I think it's symbolic I actually agree with King James. Okay. What is this book right here? This is the works of the most high and mighty Prince James. And in here, this the King James that authorized the King James version of the Bible, he's got a section in here uh, where he has like a whole commentary on Revelation. And when, what his interpretation was of that is he believed that the Gentiles, he believed that was a reference to the fake Antichrist Catholic Church. And he believed it was a reference to them persecuting the true Christian church. And so that the temple of God and those that worship therein, that that was symbolic of the true church. And he believed that Revelation 11 was symbolic. It was a symbolic passage showing a coming, and he believed it was future, he didn't believe it was past, a coming three and a half year persecution by the Antichrist Catholic Church on the true church of God. That was what King James believed. And I think that's a credible interpretation. And so I do, I do. I think there's a lot of symbolic things in Revelation chapter 11. And again, you know, we all pick and choose what we want to be literal. I do. I think it's literally going to be Moses and Elijah, but maybe it is something symbolic. I don't know. I don't know for sure. But either way, I don't think this is clear evidence that the temple was still standing because I, John was caught up into heaven and I believe he's still there I, when he did this. And so I believe he's measuring the temple in heaven. There was a pattern for the one that was on earth. That That's what I believe about it. And I believe when it references Jerusalem and calls it Sodom and Egypt, I believe that shows that this was written after 70 AD. After the city... Had been destroyed, so and notice too, when we get to verse nineteen, look what it says here in Revelation eleven nineteen, and the temple of God was opened in heaven, and there was seen in His temple the ark of His testament, and there were lightnings and voices and thundering and earthquake and great hail. So folks, the Revelation eleven temple was in heaven; it was the temple of God. He was measuring; it wasn't a it wasn't the Antichrist temple and even if it was a, if it was a temple before 70 AD i i you know again that's possible it was but it was either the temple that was uh standing before 70 AD or what he's writing about is symbolic of a persecution on the church which is what we're going to continue to see in revelation we see that the Antichrist or the Beast is going to make war with the saints and prevail over them. We see a three. We go on in Revelation to show a three and a half year period of the Beast persecuting the the saints, persecuting the woman. I, I, so I, I believe that's symbolic of that something to come in the future. But I submit to you that Revelation eleven shows internal evidence of a later dating an after seventy A.D. By the by, the fact it called the city of Jerusalem Sodom and Egypt. Both of those are places where um, that God had destroyed. And so let's go to the next passage that they use because I think this is interesting. Um, they say this is internal evidence that shows us, um, you know, that Revelation was written before seventy A.D. So uh, Revelation seventeen. Verse 8 says, The beast that thou sawest was and is not, and shall ascend out of the bottomless pit, and go into perdition. And that they that dwell on the earth shall wonder whose names are not written in the book of life from the foundation of the world. And they should behold the beast that was and is not, and yet is. And here is the mind which hath wisdom. The seven heads are seven mountains on which the woman sitteth. Now, what many people do, they'll tell you that's a reference to Rome, because Rome is the city of seven hills. Wait, that's not what it says. It says that uh, the seven heads are seven mountains on which the woman sitteth. Okay, there's there's a difference there, because what are those mountains? Well, remember in Daniel, when you have that statue of you know gold and silver and brass and iron, then you have the ten toes iron mixed with clay and then you have a stone cut out without hands that smites the feet of that and it grows into a mountain fills the earth everyone would agree that is a reference to the kingdom of christ that that mountain that it grows into that mountain is a reference to the kingdom of christ and it being a world kingdom okay so I personally believe these mountains, these seven mountains, it's not referring to a local area with seven hills. I believe this is referring to seven world kingdoms. I believe that's what it is describing right there. And so uh, but they you know they want to apply it to Rome. And then in verse 10, look at what it says, and this is where they get the date, it says, "And there are seven kings, five are fallen, and one is and the other has not yet come, and he must continue a short space. And the beast that was and is not, even he is the eighth, and is of the seven that goeth into perdition. So let me show you what they do to show that this proves that this was written before 70 AD. Now right here is a list of the Roman emperors in the, uh, during the Roman Empire. So the first one that you have is Augustus, and then Tiberius, Caligula, Claudius, and Nero. Notice Nero is emperor from fifty four to sixty eight uh, A.D. and uh, and so uh, that what they will say is when it says the seven kings five are fallen. Okay, so if five are fallen, then that would mean Nero had fallen, which he did in sixty eight A.D. So that's why they show it was just a couple years before this is a couple of years before so five are fallen and one is which would mean the one that is would be galba i guess so that shows who was and he was emperor from 68 to 69 okay and so you um yes you have galba but then notice this cuz this is this is where they have to start really doing a lot of song and dance so okay if if they're right okay If they're right about this and we have five that are fallen and one is and the other is not yet come and when he is coming with continuous short space, okay? That's that seventh one. He's the one we should be watching, okay? But here's what happened. After the fall of Nero, uh, Rome was in a lot of turmoil during that time and in one year, they had four different emperors. So it gets really confusing because like Nero's the fifth, so we got to look at the 6th and the 7th and you know it, it, it but it gets real confusing where everybody just kind of interprets these facts however they want because after Nebra, you have Galba, Otho, uh, Alois, and then you have Vespasian. Okay? And so they'll usually attribute it to Vespasian like he was the 7th because of the fact that, you know, it was things were confirmed in his hand. Uh, you know, the, there was so much instability in the kingdom. But, but either way you look at it, it is. It's it's very confusing, and it's like people just kind of force their beliefs into that passage right there. But they they will say that those five kings that are five that are fallen, that uh, and one is that shows that it's during the time of the sixth king. Therefore, we're like in sixty nine A.D. But and then there's the beast that was and is not, and so we're looking for the seventh kingdom to come, uh, which is that you know, final Antichrist kingdom or kingdom of the beast. But here's another way we can interpret this too. What if the five mountains, okay, are references to five different global kingdoms? Okay, because isn't that what we're looking for to come? And so what would those global kingdoms be? Well, you know, you did, you had the Assyrians, you had the Babylonians, you had the Greek empire, you had the, uh, or, um, I forgot about Egypt. Yeah, yeah. So you had Egypt, the Assyrians, the Babylonians, the Greeks, and then you have the Roman Empire. So those are, you know, those are the five uh, mountains, the five you know, things. I don't know, uh, but to me, that's what could be talking about, and that there is another kingdom that's going to come. You know, and that's why for many years people thought, well, it's going to be like a revived Roman Empire in the future. But I do, we haven't had really a global kingdom since the fall of Rome. And so it makes sense that when you're reading Revelation, you see the prophecy about the dragon with seven heads and ten horns, it does seem like another kingdom that's going to come, you know, that was connected to those kingdoms of the past. And I do, I personally believe that we will eventually see the rise of another global kingdom and there will be a man that is over. That kingdom, there will be an individual, and I believe he will be the beast. That's what I believe. And so uh, when they're doing that, they're assuming those kings are just Roman emperors. But I believe those are are referring to uh, global kingdoms. And uh, Rome happened to be the fifth one. So again, I don't think that gives any evidence. I think the fact that, I think it just shows the time that they were uh, currently in and but you know e- either way that's not strong evidence that's not proof of anything. they're kind of making uh, that kingdom something or those things something that it's it's just not. So these are you know relatively uh, weak arguments and these are the things that you've got to prove it is it's a really big thing to claim. Revelation was written before 70 AD when, I mean, historically, I don't feel like anybody's ever really believed that until the Preterists started becoming a big thing. So uh, either way you look at it, um, there's not a strong biblical argument to prove Revelation was written before 70 AD. And most people who take that position, they take that position because that fits with their theology. And... Uh, but, you know, the truth is you, you don't have solid proof. And, you know, those of us in the futurist world, we typically uh, teach that it was written after 78 because that fits our theology as well. And so it's a good conversation to have as far as, uh, you know, who's right on this. I think the historical evidence lands on our side. I think the biblical evidence lands on our side. I I do think the Fact that Jerusalem is referred to as Sodom in Egypt is strong evidence for our side, that it was written after 70 AD. And I think, and I think too, you have to admit that a temple standing is not evidence for you because that temple is specifically mentioned as being a temple in heaven. And I believe that temple is still standing right now. So it doesn't work. So I'm sorry, but as much as I love the idea of an imminent rapture. I do not believe the Scriptures teach it. You're definitely not going to convince me of it from a dispensational, pre-tribulational doctrine, uh, but from the partial preterist world, you would have to convince me of a lot of stuff that I am far from convinced of. But at least, hey, at least you guys have a somewhat consistent argument. You just have a really tough time proving that you're right. But you know what? I can still be friends with you people as long as you do not deny a literal return of Jesus Christ and a literal resurrection of the dead. That is where you cross the line in heresy. And some of you have got to learn the difference between what is a uh, intellectual disagreement and what is just heresy. And some of you don't know how to distinguish between those two things. You just hear somebody saying something different than you or your favorite preacher and you lose your mind. And you just start screaming heresy. But no, I just, I don't think being wrong on some of these things equals heresy. I think uh, I, I just I think it is heresy though when you deny a literal return of Christ and a literal resurrection of the dead. So either way, I don't think I'm going to be joining the imminency camp again anytime soon. And those of you who uh, are in it in a pre-tribulation dispensational world, listen. If you're that married to imminency, I would recommend looking into partial preterism before. Uh, I would continue down this dispensational path you're on. It makes no coherent sense whatsoever. And so anyway, uh, I hope this was enjoyable and informative. And uh, any evidence you can find, historical, biblical, you know, to, to prove Revelation was written after 70 AD or before, let me know. Uh, I find it to be an interesting and fascinating subject. And I don't hate those who disagree with me. Planning on having Pastor Chuck Baldwin on. Uh, later this week, he believes it was written before 70 AD. I've listened to his arguments. They make sense. I just I don't know that he has definitively proved those arguments. And I can't say I've definitively proved that it was written after 70 AD. Uh, but I will say it fits my theology better, as it being before fits his theology better. But uh, that, to me, let's keep the focus on the theology and what the scriptures say to develop our thinking and so, anyway, uh, I think we're all trying to do that the best we can. But I hope this was a blessing to you. I appreciate you all watching. We'll see you all next time. God bless.